All right, friends, this is part two of a two-part show on nudity. The last show, we were talking more about Stacy and my background with our comfort level uh, with respect to being naked in public and just our, our bodies in general. For today's show, we're going to find out if Stacy came with me on the naked bike ride, and then I'm going to be sharing some background history and interesting stories of Christian nudism in the ancient world and up to the modern world. So glad you're still with us. Oh my goodness. Let's go. So Stacy, before we get we're teasing it, did Stacy uh, did Stacy get naked in public uh, outside of just being in the evening time at a hot springs in the mountains of Colorado? We'll get to that in a second. But what I want to jump into here, Stacy, is um, the kind of the spiritual themes because mm-hmm. I think that's really part of it. Full spectrum emancipation, emancipating our minds, our emotions, our um, our our finances, mm-hmm. our religious lives, our spirituality. It's all interconnected. And religion... Well, I mean, it, it's not true emancipation unless I would say it's a whole emancipation, right? I mean, we can get ourselves free in certain areas, but if we... If the more the more that you can incorporate this throughout your entire life, then it is a whole cohesive, like, system, if yeah. you will. Uh, yeah. A way of... Um, an ideology or a way of living life, like having a worldview and how you interact and, and, and all that. And that's why, as we said last uh, part, part one, uh, from the Gospel of Thomas, verse 37, which reads, his disciples said, when will you be shown forth to us? And when shall we behold you? Jesus replied, when you strip naked without being ashamed and take your garments and put them under your feet like little children and trample them, then you will see the child of the living and you will not be afraid. So this idea, we knew instantly that if we could get there, that would be a mark Mm -hmm. of full spectrum emancipation. It's interesting because each time if I look at like the areas and my and the ways in my life that I'm not free mm. um and then I like maybe untie myself or you know like from that one certain area mm. then you find another another place to go where you're still not free right mm. it, it there's layers upon layers upon mm. layers to this and I will say that at least I mean I imagine that there is some people that can perhaps just try to like break free of everything all at once um I don't know exactly how you could do that. And I don't even know if it's entirely possible to still kind of be a part of society because you still have to deal with money and certain things just to buy yeah. and live. But I will say that it definitely becomes once you start getting rid of one string, you find, you know, a whole bunch more. And the more and more strings that we're able to unravel and get free of, I feel way more free. But I also see how many strings were attached. Yeah, this web, it, it, it's so it's tangled. Yeah, and you, it's and, I, and I think this is why we didn't expect to do this to your friends, but it's like when we finally said, yes. okay, this is a show about helping people get out of culty type scenes. And then we said, oh no, we're in a culty type scene. And then we said, oh no, it also relates to the way we see our politics and our economics and gender roles and Every, public nudity yeah. and ah. Yeah. And it's great because it's like this whole moment in our lives of experiencing and exploring freedom 
And it's not like we're just, I mean, it's a paradigm shift is what it is. Yes. You know, paradigm shift and a lot of things come with it. You know, it's not like, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to think these things because my friends on the left think these things. It's that there's a natural connection. Mysticism, as we're going to see in the history of Christianity, and nudity are far more compatible. Mm. So let's, let's hear some of this. Hierarchy, yeah. Yeah. hierarchy doesn't tend to like nudity. Right. Power structures, domination systems don't tend to like hierarchy, uh, nudity unless in the ancient world you're causing people to be naked to shame them or, mm. in the, you know, like this would happen. So people having their heads shaved and being naked, it dehumanized them mm-hmm. uh, because then the other people had, you know, something else. Yeah. So let's, we'll get, we'll get into this. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning of Genesis. And it's amazing. It's amazing that as much as we've been trying to kind of ghost church, how much (laughs) the Bible keeps coming up in our lives and in interesting ways. A while back, we had this student that texted us Mm -hmm. and he said, you know, I had this spiritual experience. I mean, he was getting into mysticism, into Alan Watts, Buddhism, you know, uh, all this stuff. Um, that I probably would have mentioned on the side, but didn't endorse. Right. You know, so I'd say, well, if you, if you care about that stuff, you should look into this person or that, you know. Yeah. And now I'm certainly more interested in it. And so this student, you know, got there first. Anyway, Ben, uh, he said, um, you know, really, you guys need to figure this out. If you can figure this out, it unlocks everything. Who told you you were naked? Yeah, I remember that verse. Because I yeah. remember it. And I remember pondering that, like, huh. And I still can't remember exactly what his answer is, but I think I get close. Do you remember it all? Uh, I don't know his answer. Yeah, what's um, your answer? I would say that, again, we are born into this world as naked beings. Yeah. And it's our bodies. It's the vehicle with which we interact in this whole world, in this physical existence. Mm-hmm. Um, if something or somebody has told you that in your natural state, that this is something called naked yeah, and that there's another version that's not naked, yeah. that it's somebody else. It's kind of like the child not even knowing that they're naked until somebody tells them yeah. that they're naked. They're just being, they're just yeah. existing. And then when an adult or somebody says, Oh, put your clothes on, yeah. you know, it's literally the loss of innocence. It, yes. And, and so there's, yeah, yeah there's all this innocence means uh, unknowing and knowing something. What is it that they're knowing? And, and this might be a way, this might be a way to kind of make sense of it. If you have a child that all of a sudden is talking in ways that seem more sexually explicit, they're not just like exploring themselves, but they're acting out in ways that seem like adult behaviors. That's a, that's a, unfortunately a sign that they may have had some kind of sexual abuse. Yes. So 100%. you might ask a kid if they're acting in a certain way or talking in a certain way, who told you that? Right. Who told you, you know, who told you, right. uh, how did, who how introduced you, you to this? Yeah, how'd you hear about that? And, and so I think it's the same with just like this, this very fundamental story, this fundamental narrative in Genesis where God is looking at these people. You know, I've, I've said on the show many times that I think that this, this story is true. You don't even have to believe in God. You don't have to believe in supernatural things. This story is true. The ancient Hebrew text known as Genesis has this memory of humanity's origin as hunter-gatherer, 
The hunter and gatherer, even to this day, is social scientists say a happier. Mm-hmm. They have a variegated diet. They're living long lives. The only time this becomes problematic is they're living in the degraded eco- ecological world of, let's say, the Amazon. They're getting uh, hunted down by unscrupulous logging people, miners, and other governments. So as long as you don't have civilization on your heels, living as a small hunter-gatherer group within a natural world, and you're basically, no one's wearing a lot of clothes, that's, we see that all around the world. I mean, when the Europeans, I want to say a million times, when the Europeans got to the Americas, the the Native Americans, they said, look, uh, these guys are, they look sickly. They're, they're not happy. I don't want to be a part of their culture. I mean, they, there are many accounts of, of, these Europeans thinking, oh, look, we've got all this great stuff. And it's true that indigenous people would say, oh, I want this or that. This is a really cool mirror or this gun seems powerful or this boat's cool. But as a society, they didn't seem healthy. And so the the Native Americans always would report that the Europeans looked kind of sickly and, and not too good looking. And the Europeans agreed. They'd say, wow, these Native people are really, really attractive mm-hmm. and they're happy and they dance and they don't seem to work that hard. You'd like, like if you're looking at it from different eyes, you'd say, well, this is paradise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the Europeans came in and, and destroyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's the game. That's what Moloch does. That's what civilization does. That's America. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, this colonial move is, is, is embedded there in the story and the move to agriculture. So naked and ashamed that happens once you get into civilization where women become property as opposed to free agents within society. Right. So you move from promiscuity to strict monogamy, specifically patriarchal male-dominated monogamy or not even monogamy. Rather, it could be polygamy, but the women are all going to be part of either a harem or one of the wives of the dude. Okay? Yes. And they're owned. That's kind of the game. And, and this happens... And they then try to make the fig leaves. Now, a lot of people would say, ah, well, see, God creates these animal skins for them and all this. And so, therefore, it shows that God wants them to be clothed now or something. I, this is what I said before with inerrancy. You, you, you got to live in this mythical universe. You can't be, you can't be looking at this like it's a, it's a guide uh, or it's, it's like a, a Subaru manual telling you what kind of oil to put in. It's not like that. But it is interesting that everything goes wrong so sin comes into the world. Sin makes the human body uh, sinful, but it's not really that it makes the human body sinful. It makes it, we are ashamed of it. Right. We're ashamed of it because of not maybe our own objectification of other people or our own understanding of ourselves in terms of our value. Because right now being naked, like this is like a, a, a big fear. People have nightmares about Oh yeah. About being naked in front of people. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, there's the, the <laughs> nightmares that people have sometimes all of a sudden they're at school uh-huh. and they don't have clothes on, you know, or they're in front of, yeah, in front of the classroom. So or, if you could be in front of the classroom and naked and as long as you weren't being offensive, you know, I mean, this is a hypothetical situation. If you're in that dream and you're not being aggressive towards other people and they just see you, then you can say, here, here I am. Like, right. what, what do you want? Right. Like if you could get to that spot, which is almost impossible for us to get to, that would be spiritually powerful. Yes. Right? Now, Alan Watts, interesting. Alan Watts has a really interesting point to make about uh, the fall of Adam and Eve. Um, he says that if you go to the, if you go to the Hebrew, 
the knowledge of good and evil uh, is more about uh, technology, right? So it's what did they know? They knew how to do things. So it's kind of more like the serpent is like a Prometheus. You know the Prometheus story where there's the giving of fire to people. So this helps people to forge metals, mm. but it also, they can burn down forests. You know, it can be used for destruction. It can be used for cooking, you know. But um, the, essentially, uh, there is an interpretation of the Genesis, Genesis story as myth, as an ancient Near Eastern myth, that isn't predominantly about like the theological stuff that we tend to think about it, it it has more to do with how did society get to where it is? Mm -hmm. Because everybody knew that there were these other people living in the forest that didn't wear clothes. So it doesn't even have to be an ancient memory. Uh, It could be like Enkidu and uh, Gilgamesh, where you have these wild people that don't live by the civilized standards. In any case, that's where it starts. Um, And so in the Bible, being naked, even at least at a theoretical level, being naked is not sinful. Being naked is only a problem when sinfulness comes into the world. Then being naked is a problem. It's just like if you're a pirate and I've got gold, I might hide my gold, not because there's something wrong about gold, but because I live right. amid pirates. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. <sighs> so anyway. Um, well, can I just... Yeah, please. A little personal thing. Um, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, but again, it, what really comes to mind for me as <laughs> my own personal experience of, yeah, in, in middle school, going to that handling your hormones thing and they're using the word masturbation. I had no idea what masturbation was. Mm-hmm. I had never heard that word before. Right. Um, and then I was like, Oh, like, so like you can't even like, you know, like then I was like, wait, what, it, what was sad at this conference? Like I didn't, mm. I missed kind of the whole point because I didn't have a category for any of it. Mm. But then it like, I, so I, I didn't explore my own body because I thought that that even like that is, you know, sinful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, cause I wasn't sure I, I missed a lot of what was even said. I don't, I'm, I'm sure I probably would have gotten that message overall. It's just that, yeah, mm. like don't, you know, so when it got time with, though, when I started my period, like trying to understand even like the tampon and, and some of those things, like you just don't know how this works because like, I wasn't like, I wasn't like, I thought I was not allowed to explore my own body, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Oh, and yeah. so it's like, it turns it into something that it never was or would have been for me. Um, and then, then there's this lack of experience about just factual things that mm-hmm. would have been helpful for me just mm-hmm. to get by in this world. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like it, it just kind of, twist something into something that never was. And then all of a sudden you get introduced to this sin. And I think it just led to more ignorance Mm -hmm. rather than um, any sort of like actual, like maybe doing something right according to God. Right. (laughs) If, if you will. And in the Bible, a lot of what you're describing all comes after the formation of these civilizations in the ancient near East with God Kings that even, uh, you know, like Samuel will say, you don't want kings because they're going to come and they're going to take your daughters as they're just going to take them away as concubines. Who does this? Bash- David. Sheba. Yeah. So David sees Bathsheba. That's her fault. And this is, uh, it's not her fault, of course. But uh, oh, I know yeah, what I'm right, saying. This, she's showering. Right. And she's looking pretty. Well, no, here's the king and the king murders her husband indirectly so that he can then uh, take her. And that's, uh, that ain't no good. No. Um, but in any case, um, so certainly made me not want to shower nude in front of any dude. <laughs> Just no, kidding. well, yeah, I mean, no, I, that's, that's part of it, right? They're scaring you off. And, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so basically though, you know, one of the things that's really interesting is 
the in the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, prophets are often associated with being naked. Mm. Um, we, we see this with Isaiah. Hmm. So Isaiah says, you know, hey, um, I, was, I was preaching. I was bringing condemnation, like this crazy like, preacher, and he was naked for three years. He didn't wear clothes for three years, like in kind of a protest. Interesting. So I will just say this to all my, uh, you know, uh, the five Christian listeners that are still with us. You know, you know I'm kidding. Um, We've alienated some. I love you so much, everybody. We have, but, but, but I will also say, hey, and I do want to just be be yeah. um, real here, is that there are a lot of people that are saying thank you. Yeah, that's true. I can't. You I know, can't deny um, that. They there just are yeah. definitely some people. So thank you to that you. Are, 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 are maybe like you know surprisingly they have, they have indulgent. Some, there's some people that have some concern for us that you know yeah. are praying for us. Um, but there's definitely a lot of people that have yeah. thanked us. And so thank you so to you. Thank you to you. And obviously, I don't know. I mean, we're going to keep doing this as long as people find, um, you know, some value in this. And for us, it's just even a processing of our own, our own growth and our own yeah. like life and where we're at. It's and an audio journey. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, so thanks for, for those of you that are yes. still sticking around. But I guess what I'm saying is if you want to maintain a conservative Christian identity and belief system, for you, I'm saying that going and, and participating in some of these clothing optional experiences might be something you want to try. And I would say biblically, uh, even from a conservative standpoint, there's no inherent reason that you shouldn't do this given the context that we've experienced mm-hmm. where it's not erotic. It is consensual. It is, um, it is about nature. It is about kind of de-eroticizing our everyday encounters with each other. And experiencing their embodiment. But biblically, if Isaiah can preach for naked for three years, I can spend one full moon evening protesting the overconsumption of petroleum based (laughs) fuels naked and be perfectly biblical. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Like if you want to go to that and you see this though, you see this in a, in a lot of other cases. And it seems like, you know, if you see, uh, uh, something really startling to people was a scene in the last temptation of Christ where John the Baptist is out there and they're baptizing and everybody's getting baptized in the river and they're naked. And that seemed to be like, Oh, why does uh, Scorsese, why does the filmmaker want to uh, have this gratuitous nudity? Mm. Why are they, why are they defiling the sanctity of these biblical stories? Uh, that's entirely possible because in the pre-Christian baptismal stuff, baptism and nudity were kind of what you're supposed to do. That's Mm -hmm. kind of the game. We see this in uh, frescoes. We see this in early, you know, art, but also in narrative accounts of what was going on. And so there's every reason to believe that, uh, you know, Jesus himself would have been naked when he got baptized, unless he was just uniquely approved amongst the others. Um, and why? Do you have any idea why you would get naked to get baptized? Well, again, it's that, um, like, it's shedding anything of the old kingdom, that old world. Mm-hmm. So you're being brought into the new kingdom. Yeah. And when we are birthed into this world, we do come in naked. And I would say... New birth. We are, we are going to, you know, embrace eventually our, you know, ultimate death and resting you know, with yeah. our clothes will, you know, even if you're buried, the clothes will either be burned off or, you know. It's about they, death and birth. You know. It's about shedding the old. And I would say, like, going back to the Alan Watts concept of the Bible saying that the 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 so-called false, the false story, when Adam and Eve, they eat this fruit and they, they know 
good and evil. Mm-hmm. It's more about they know how to do it right and not do it right. But it has more to do with technology. It has more to do with controlling the world. Now, that goes to the opposite of what the Tao Te Ching recommends. The Tao Te Ching says, you know, don't try to control the world. The whole point is Wu Wei. You got to go with nature. So wearing clothes is part of, as, as Alan Watts would see it here, um, it's about technology to control our environment, to live in our environment in ways that aren't perfectly Tao. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and, and because of that, uh, baptism goes, goes back to Eden or it's like a ritual attempt to go back to Eden in many ways Mm -hmm. and to, to go back to being a new creation in the way it's supposed to have been. Hmm. Makes sense. So because of this, there was a group in the second century of Christians uh, and they, they really are existing probably from the 2nd to the 4th century in North Africa. It's a sect of Christianity known as the Adamites. Now, I wish so badly that I could get better information on the Adamites. And the fact is there's just not a lot out there. Because the Adamites were people that we really only know about because of the Orthodox haters of them, right? Mm-hmm. So they were heretics. They were, they were a sect of Christianity that very clearly would have agreed with that gospel of Thomas thing. They might've even have used the gospel of Thomas saying that you're supposed to be naked, or it might've been another sect that thought nakedness fit because here's the thing. It's not like all these places we've been where there are people that are naked, that, that they are directly in, in, interconnected. It's that their connection to nature, their connection to a rejection of hierarchy and their connection to mystical spirituality all tend towards the same thing. Mm-hmm. We were at the Joshua Tree Music Festival and a group of uh, psychedelically enhanced uh, young uh, people were marching through the the alleyways. It wasn't alleys, you know, it's uh, the tents. Mm-hmm. Remember, we're naked and not ashamed. We're naked and not ashamed. And I knew instantly, like, they must have been kids, grew up in an evangelical world. They took some mushrooms or something. They're at this hippie festival and their minds are blown. They're doing yoga and they're like, I don't need to, to follow these conventions. I mean, it's they, a it very was, common and, thing. And I remember. It was a little annoying. It was, well, and because it was often so loud, I, I think that it was, it, there was, and there, I, could, I could hear fear in it. So they were overcoming a yeah. fear, which is why you knew like there was something like that. Yeah. Um, but it was still like obvious that there was still more growth to be done right. there because it, they weren't, they weren't fully unashamed. But it was also kind um, of fun though. And so I, 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 but to see that, to yeah. see those baby steps, to see, like, wait a minute, you know, like, <laughs> Hey, yeah. Um, you know, then that's, everybody's on their own, obviously journey. Yep. <laughs> yep. You mentioned in the part yep. one that, you know, we hate to use that word, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, being able to, at whatever part you're able to sort of address some of these issues and overcome your own personal, um, fears is incredibly empowering. And so that's what the Adamites thought. So the Adamites were this sect of Christians. They might've been Gnostic, whatever that means, but they were more of a mystical group. And, uh, they definitely seemed to be hippie in, in a lot of their orientation. Um, they believed in the abolition of mar- marriage. Not only that, they thought that any group that taught that you had to have this very restrictive monogamy 
um, and essentially that women would be chained to their husbands as kind of property. property. They thought that that was a heresy. It wasn't just like they were free to have free love. They thought that the Christian view that had come to dominate, that is the Orthodox, the Orthodox group in the formation of Christianity, that that group was actually doing something that was unspiritual hmm. by affirming this very uh, misogynistic view of, of marriage and the restrictive view of marriage. I think that's interesting because that comes up again in some of these other spots. Um, but they were mystics. That is that they are trying to focus not on going to heaven in the next life, but in having a direct encounter with our connection to the divine and to each other and to nature. So you could see how that naturally fits in. Um, they're a radical group, radical being a group that is kind of getting to the roots of society and religion and being willing to uproot and replant. Um, but they called their church paradise. So when they would gather together, they would go to paradise. They'd all worship naked and they would worship naked if it was cold, if it was too hot. And they often would, you know, get accused of, um, not really being productive members of society. Interesting. Well, of course, yeah, right? right? Like, right, so right. they're not going to be the, the people that are getting all the, the work done, probably help building stuff or whatever, right? Working on. Yeah. So in early, in early Christianity with the formation of what becomes the Orthodox church, I mean, really, again, so much of this goes away because a, a, a very specific sect of Christianity becomes dominant after Constantine. If you had not had Constantine elevate a certain form of Christianity to the status that it was, and then after Constantine, when Christianity of a certain sort becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire, and then of course Europe, after Charlemagne, is going to carry out the Christianization of Europe, um, again the Christianization from a very specific version of Christianity, all those other ones tend to go away. Lots of different versions of Christianity are thwarted, exterminated, or sent into hiding. And so it's not really clear if the Adamites get destroyed. There's a chance that there have been these little secret lineages of Adamitism, of these Christian nudists. If Did I mention the Adamites? Yeah, they worship naked. They were... That you was said a, the, yeah, yeah you said that the, was the main thing, and uh, but these Adamites, they come up again and again. Every few hundred years, you see mention of them, and the problem is in Christianity. Very often, Orthodox Christians will call somebody by the name of a heresy. Mm. That doesn't mean that they were part of the same lineage. So if if you don't believe in the deity of Christ, you might be called an Arian, even though you don't follow the teachings of this dude named Arius a long time ago. Does that gotcha. make sense? Yeah. So it's not really clear that the Adamites continue to exist. I like to think that there should be like a historical novel where there's a small sect of hippie Christians <laughs> that are nudists and that they try to lay low so they don't keep getting killed. Um, but that, that there's maybe some uh, continuation. Certainly people know about the concept. And so they pick up on some of these. So you would see. You, <laughs> One thing I know is off subject, but um, thinking about like when you mentioned paradise, right? And yeah. Gather in paradise. <laughs> All of a sudden the movie Blue Lagoon <laughs> comes to my mind. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> where, you know, obviously like what they're just like a young couple, like. Finding, on an island. On an island, secluded yes. island, just finding... Greatest premise for a movie when you're a kid, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. No, but that's, but, that's but kind that, of the game, yeah. That, I mean, I think that there is, um, at least in, uh, I don't know, in, in 
outside our culture, there's this idea of, you know, what would happen when you're stranded on this deserted island, right? Mm-hmm. And there is something paradisical about it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, when you get down to the nitty gritty, <laughs> there's also some very horrifying things. You mm-hmm. need wo- uh, water and food and certain things. But mm-hmm. anyway, but, uh, but there is this fascination with, you know, kind of going back to this more primal, natural, like just you and nature and this, you know, and the island kind of thing. And again, if you haven't tried it, friends, it is spiritual. So when you do it, if you do it the way we did it uh, in the mountains, say, and felt connected with our feet in the in the river. What's really nice about the Colorado ones, by the way, is you have this cold stream flowing in and then you have the earth kind of bubbling out its hot water that had been there in the in the you know, underground, those things together, you can go to some pools that are warmer than others. Or you, you know, there was a spot where we camped as a family, we camped right by uh, the river that was like 85 degrees. Mm -hmm. So you could just kind of sit there and we would, you know, put our chairs in there. Uh, One slight little disclaimer type thing. There are sometimes um, hot springs that are also connected with certain amoebas and things like that. So know your area and don't necessarily put your head under the water if you are unfamiliar with it um, because there are some weird parasites and things that you can get. Um, Just throw that out there. Do your research on everything. (laughs) And then some, some hot springs smell like sulfur and others are just clean yeah. water that are warm. And so, and some can be too hot to go in. Yeah. So find a way to test it yep. first. Especially and don't drink too much. Don't go by yourself out in the middle of nowhere and yeah. sit in the pipe and hop water. Okay. But this is not a show that's about how di- to do hot spring. That's my disclaimer. Definitely good. So, but back to the, the Adamites and this, these sects. Again, these are radical groups that are not really part of the mainstream, as you would expect. You know what I mean? Right. You know. Um, well... That's not how society functions. Exactly. So when the church and state are in cahoots, they're all involved in clothing people, making them get married and stick with it, you Mm -hmm. know, and Mm -hmm. then serving the state, right? Mm -hmm. So these cats, they're not really doing that, right? So anyway, skip forward to 1419. There's a dude named Jan Hus. Jan Hus, proto-reformer, kind of a Luther before Luther, and they were people who believed in going back to the Bible and not just taking the church's authority for granted. So they were kind of pro, you know, proto-Protestant. They're definitely uh, bre- breaking away their heretics, even though they might be right about a lot of things. But according to the church, they were heretics. Jan Hus was considered and condemned as a heretic. But there were these uh, Hussite groups. And interestingly, there was a there was feuding between the Hussite groups. Mm. So these are, these are, (laughs) who knew? Yeah. Why why in the world can we not all just get along? Well, and one of the reasons is one of the Hussite groups was called the Bohemian Adamites. By the way, I I probably would have joined this group. Okay. (laughs) Like, wait, wait, wait. It's like, we, we're the Christians, but we're going to, we're going to bolt from the Vatican. Like, okay, I'm in. Second, we're going to be bohemian naked people. We're like, all right, that sounds good. That does not seem um, square. <laughs> that is the opposite of Squaresville, right? So, um, but other Hussites did not like this. You know, partly when you're close to somebody, you don't like them the most, right? Yeah. So like, you, like Lutherans. Slightly different. Oh my gosh. Like, like there's a bunch of like people that aren't Christians at all. But there's nobody that conservative Lutherans I've seen hate more than like charismatic Lutherans or like church growth Lutherans 
or Gerhard Ferdy, who was a specific Lutheran theologian that thought that like substitutionary atonement wasn't all that important or something. I mean, yeah. like whatever it is, like there are these little, these well, little things that if you're close to me and you carry the same name, like Lutheran or something. I mean, then, I would say in my own, um, my own experience there, you know, we were a part of, uh, the ELCA, um, at the time when there was a, a big split and yes. a lot of the ELCA folks, some of them went off to be, um, N-A-L-C. or LCMC, LCMC, two different Lutheran um, split off groups. Yes. But even the, the two split off groups and even the ELCA versus whether you went oh, off to oh, one yeah. or the other. It was oh, I see like, what you're saying. The ELCA it, hated... Okay, so the NALC is less fundamentalist than the LCMS. But ELCA people would have an easier time working alongside... LC, this is when we were at Trinity, which was pan-Lutheran. So we yes. were trying to work with all the Lutherans. ELCA people did not want to work with the split-off groups from their own denomination. Right. Even though those split-off groups might have women pastors. Mm-hmm. And the LCMS wouldn't have women pastors. Right. So if you right. leave me... Yes, okay. That's a good, so, well, good yeah. illustration. So I'm just saying, like, there, you could feel that intensity of mm-hmm. we were so close yet now so far, so, far yeah. away. so that's what happens with the bohemian atomites like, oh yeah you guys believe in like the bible alone and you don't care about the church's authority yay fist in the air what you're not going to wear clothes and you're going to have all your communion services naked oh you guys are freaks so that was kind of that but the this this hussite breakaway group the bohemian atomites they again return to this nakedness. Mm-hmm. This is again in the, now in the 15th century. And uh, they believe that God lived in the saints. Oh my gosh, that sounds a lot like you're at uh, Jesus, stretching with Jesus yoga nights. So you would tell them, you're the body of Christ. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the presence of the present. Like that idea. Presence of the kingdom and the kingdom will have no end. That is biblical and also found within Christian theology of the mainstream kind, but that emphasis is amongst these Adamites, that the presence of God is not in the building, it's not in the Pope's mitre, it's not even in the theological books, but it's in the lives and the people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we know a little bit more about this group than we do about the second to fourth century Adamites because, well, it's closer and there's also a little bit more documentary evidence, but still don't know a ton about what they're up to. Um, again, though, exclusive marriage was a sin for them. And so they believed in free love. They, again, were criticized for not working. So what they do, they did exactly what I would have agreed to do with them. I'd say, hey, we should get our own island. So they got an island. It's a river island. So it's no, you know, monkeys and coconuts kind of thing. But it's, they've got their own space, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that was not acceptable to the neighbors. <laughs> so the other Hussites all but exterminated the group which then had to kind of go off into the rest of Europe. So you, it seems like then uh, probably, my guess is that this group has a few survivors and people that were you know, influenced by them that would exist throughout Europe and they would pop up. You know, you could exist in a community and as long as you don't have a lot of neighbors in, intruding, you don't know how many of these groups could have existed, but they definitely weren't part of the mainstream. And so they're not going to be a lot of conversations about it either. Do you know what I'm saying? It's right. like, it's like, um, uh, it could be thousands of these groups all around the hills, but w- 
how would you know? There's no record of it, but that doesn't mean it didn't exist. They're outside of the main power structures. Right. And people don't always like to tell. They're not always mentioning it. Yeah. Stories, <laughs> Unless, right? you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, and people got killed. So what's the point? You don't, you know, you can go live free, but I guess people don't want to know that you're living free. So maybe you just keep it to yourself. Uh, but you do see this uh, from time to time. So about 120 years later uh, in the, uh, in the Netherlands, you have these 11 Anabaptists. They're called the Naked Walkers, the Nakedloopers uh, in Amsterdam. And they ran naked through the streets, proclaiming the naked truth. Oh, okay. They were another group of radical Christians. And uh, you know what happened to them? They probably got killed. They got executed. Yeah. So, uh, like, it is interesting how big of a deal this is to people. But in any case, like, little movements every once in a while, this... This idea of the Adamites that mm-hmm. now is in the form of these these kind of Reformation era uh, European movements uh, in in Czech, uh, in, in uh, the Netherlands here or in Poland, um, they come up from time to time. You, you see them in the 18th century, and you see them again in the 19th century. So that means that you know. We don't know a lot of what was happening in the Middle Ages, and maybe there's more that that I could dig into and find. But basically, from the early church till the 19th century, you get these little movements. But what's interesting is it becomes a bigger deal again in the early 20th century. And really around that same time, you have a lot of these Christians that are um, uh, really tied in with health. So this is where it gets kind of funky because... Um, you have, you know, like all that other stuff that I've talked about in, in the research for the book on, uh, sexual ethics about Kellogg, um, and Kellogg and Graham yeah. of Kellogg's cornflakes and Graham cracker fame who wanted to make healthy food so kids wouldn't be sexual. Right. Um, you know, that's, that's part of it. But, um, but basically what's interesting is modern nudism, AKA naturism, as a, as a movement in America and in some places in Europe, but especially in America, is actually something that was started by Christians. Now, not all of them stayed Orthodox Christians, but it is interesting that they most of them started out as pastors even. Mm. Very interesting. But remember, um, you know, around the same time, uh, some people that were not nudists at all, they were going up to these retreat centers and they were doing the health So you start to see these things sprouting up all over the place, health, spirituality, getting back to nature, people leaving their, their grind, leaving these very oppressive life regimens in the highly specialized industrialized world. They're moving out of that. They're saying, we can't just live in factories and then come home and drink whiskey. We've got to get back to nature. You don't have a lot of camping before this. Camping used to be just called, like, that's where you lived. Mm. <laughs> camping yeah. after industrializ- industrialization <laughs> is a way to say, I need an antidote to this industrialized life I'm now living, or yeah. the suburban life, or mm-hmm. the urban life. And so they're all, they're all kind of into uh, that scene. And so the first character along these lines is this guy, Ilsley Boone. He lives from 1879 to 1968, I should mention. Interesting thing. Christian nudists... Pioneers of the nudist movement in America, they tend to live to like 80 to 99 years old. This is kind of what we start to see. They do tend to have pretty healthy lifestyles. <laughs> That's kind of part of it. Um, he starts out as a Baptist. Interesting. Um, then he ends up in a Dutch Reformed church, but he gets divorced 
Okay. Kind of an interesting guy. I like him. But then he marries his first cousin, so uh, not so good. Hmm. And I, I want to men- mention the good and bad about these cats because I was hoping to find, you know, like these interesting heroes and not exist. No, I don't really like a lot of these cats and, and for a variety of reasons, but it's interesting history, right? Um, he became the executive secretary of the American League for Physical Culture, ALPC. Not a very exciting name, so they eventually uh, call it the American Sunbathing Association, oh. ASA. 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 <laughs> I think that's slightly American un- unbathing. It's a little unfortunate, I think. I don't know. I don't know. Asa. But no, like, no, no. I'm I'm saying that. I was just trying to sound it out. ASA, uh-huh. American Sunbathing Association. But it was the first nudist organization in the United States. So he didn't. He was like in the founding movement, but he was there, the executive secretary, very first organization, Christian dude. Um, and what would they be into? Uh, a lot of the things that the other health-centered sects were interested in, calisthenics, abstinence from alcohol. So they were teetotalers. This is around that time when people saw kind of like alcohol as being uh, but, like you know, the crack of the city. I will also say, as we do talk about um, the naked spaces, yeah. often... Um, oh, yeah, al- no alcohol. Yeah, alcohol is non-existent or any other drugs and things like that. I think that the idea... Specifically of, prohibited. Yes, and I think that the idea of being completely sober is helpful in that experience because again, it's not about losing your inhibitions through other chemicals. And when it's we say completely sober, we should definitely probably allow people to uh, have a little uh, gummy, a well, little uh, whatever cannabis. The, the places may alcohol. allow they, places may allow different things. I'm just saying generally no alcohol, but we're saying that whether they allow it or not, like if you're in, involved in making that community decision, no alcohol is a good idea. Exactly. Cause it, that's not the vibe. Right. Cause there's, yeah, there's, yeah, exactly that. I think alcohol, then brings a whole different element that is unhealthy to that environment. Yeah, and you need people not fighting, and you all spe- specifically need people being respectful of boundaries, yes. and sometimes those boundaries get blurred with alcohol. Yes, yes. Um, Sorry, I digress. Yeah, no, no. Uh, so anyway, so but the, this group, the, uh, the original nudist group in America, again, with that Christian connection, had all of that stuff that you would have at a Christian camp that was also into vegetarianism, uh, they would even get naked in bad weather. They were trying to kind of over toughen up, you mm-hmm. know, so it's also mm-hmm. in some ways that back to nature movement. Um, but uh, Isley Boone creates a magazine called Sunshine and Health, which becomes the longest running nudist magazine in the United States. Interesting fact, Stacy, that his fight to distribute his nudist magazine, they airbrushed out the privates, um, but it was like... Just like showing the lifestyle and showing these different camps, they would distribute that. The Comstock Act that we've already encountered in conversation about um, about uh, the anarchist uh, Emma Goldman and her distributing information about birth control. Uh, But basically, the nudist magazine, because it was Christian, it kind of did give a little bit more legitimacy to the idea that nakedness is not obscenity. So the Comstock Act was trying to, you know, use the federal government's control over the postal service to stop people from being able to mail these things. But interestingly, Playboy ends up being able to send Hugh Hefner's magazine out through the same channels. Mm. And so the Christian nudists are actually responsible for allowing the distribution through the U S mail of uh, pornographic materials, even though they themselves are very clear that they didn't want it to be pornographic. 
Then there's another guy named Henry Huntington. He lives 1882 to 1981, 99 years old when he dies. He wrote, quote, The goodness of man and the possible satisfactoriness of life make the nudist feel that God is a very kind and friendly being. <laughs> so for him, uh, here was a guy who was a Presbyterian. He worked close, closely with Is- Ilsley Boone, and um, he created the Burgoyne, Nail, <laughs> the Burgoyne Trail Nudist Camp in Massachusetts. Um, and so he's kind of an interesting guy, and I was going to buy one of his books until I realized he also was a eugenicist, <laughs> you know, so they're all a little nutty. But, you know, part of it is anybody who's going to be able to be open to being naked is also going to be open to other crazy ideas. So it's like par for the course. It's like anarchists. Some of them are wacky. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be an anarchist. You just got to recognize people are going to be open to all sorts of wacky ideas. Yeah, that there's wackiness in any probably group that you are identifying with, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's another guy. Uh, these are all Christians that are part of the American nudist movement. Again, Elton Raymond Shaw, 1886 to 1955. Uh, he was a nudist himself, uh, an Episcopal guy, okay, uh, but also a Methodist Episcopal guy, right? So he's a Methodist guy. Um, but he was also into the prohibition anti-alcohol movement, you know, mm-hmm. interesting. In England, this is not an American guy, but there's an interesting guy, uh, William Ing. 1860 to 1954, Church of England. He was a theology professor at Cambridge. He was at one time the Dean of St. Paul's Cathedral in London. He was an expert on Neoplatonism and mysticism. He was really into animal rights and as a churchman was able to help argue for the right of people in England to be naked in their own communities. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, also into eugenics and also rejected democracy (laughs) Because he was a good, like, you know, churchman. He believed in, like, that Neoplatonic hierarchy. Interesting. You know, so, you know, you, you win some, you lose some. But anyway, but the point is, there is an interesting connection between uh, some of these religious thinkers and nudity. And, of course, it all does go back to that idea that you can see right there in Genesis about being naked. I'm curious, because it doesn't really seem like it would be that much of an Eastern culture thing. Um, anything at all, like any research or any looking into, um, we, you know, no, we were looking at the Christian thing. Thank you. We, maybe we should do a third one, like nudity and other, uh, religious traditions. If it exists or not. Well, yeah. I mean, here, here's what I can say off, offhand. Um, that is, uh, you know, a lot of the ascetics in Indian religion, Mm -hmm. they would wear maybe just underwear or go naked. That was actually very important because it was an ascetic mood. It it wasn't a a hedonistic move. It wasn't like, hey, we're going to be naked because it's fun. They were going to be naked because it was hard. Gotcha. Right. It's... um, Well, yeah. And I remember like, what, if it's, if it's hot, they make themselves hotter. Yeah. They're out in the sun, naked, Um, meditating, doing the same thing. You'd have that... Um, and, uh, you know, I probably should know more, but I will say that in the ancient Near East, not so much. I mean, you certainly see this in, um, in a lot of ancient Near Eastern cultures than specific, but more importantly, um, after Islam, uh, modesty codes, very, very important as Christianity spreads, even East modesty codes, pretty important. Generally speaking, with the exception of the Greeks exercising naked, which really freaked out the Jews, uh, during the Hellenistic period. Um, the, the Maccabean revolt, um, you know, that part of the world, not too, not mm-hmm. too keen on it. 
And then anywhere else, as far as I can tell, it's generally associated with just like people that aren't part of society. Gotcha. So it is an interesting symbol to mm-hmm. be naked because it, it, it identifies you with a rejection of colonialism. It makes sense. Right? I mean, think about it this way. You know, the missionaries would come in and uh, I think we've talked about this. They'd put bras on the women and all of a sudden the dudes would be like fixated on this. Right. They'd become eroticized. Right. Very interesting. And to wear these clothes is a sign of capitulation to empire. Right. It makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. And like, yeah, the fact that you have to have the right kind of clothes, right. Then it's like, oh, you know, you, mm-hmm. you can't just find this, you know, animal skin or this brass skirt, like put on this cotton or you know whatever now in the modern times if you want to like follow any group today i don't know how active they remain but uh, there is a group you can find on online uh naturist naturist-christians.org naturistchristians.org and we can put links to all this stuff up on protectornoggin.org so anytime we have a show you just go check out the show notes for that show that episode Uh, but here's what they stand for stacy you ready uh Naturist Christians today, faith, naturism reacquaints us with our maker as we not only appreciate the bodies he gave us, but the world he created for us. So Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense. Appreciating your body, your embodiment, and the world. Freedom. Shed the shackles imposed on us by society and culture. Naturism is a way to unburden the mind and bring everyone to a level playing field in a social setting. That is kind of true. People can't really be as threatening in a certain sense when we're all put into a vulnerable spot. I think that's part of it. That's part of that space. Rejuvenation, the peace and relaxation reported by naturists infuses our soul with a rejuvenating spirit and love for nature and the people who surround us. That is true in very healthy, sacred type nudist spaces where I would say I've been in some of these spots where people are healing. I'm healing. I felt like just a deep cleanse in the sun, deep cleanse in the mountains. I remember one morning we were in a pond and the, the steam was coming up over the mountain flowers mm. and we're looking out on a valley mm-hmm. and just the steam's coming up. It might've been a cool morning, but the, the, the water was hot. And when we were just by ourselves looking out at the eagles flying through, I mean, it was just absolutely amazing and spiritual. Um, self-esteem is their last point. Comparing our bodies against real people versus images from movies and magazines is a rewarding return to love for ourselves, flaws included. So being able to say, hey, we're all, we're all just cool with ourselves and seeing people do that is inspiring. Even if it's not physical, it could be whatever you're embarrassed about, about yourself. You mm-hmm. come to ex- radical acceptance. Really, really powerful. So I don't know if they get into any other stuff, you know, with the theology, but that's their kind of statement of faith. That's what they say they're about on the web. You can you know, check that out more on your own. So, but that's basically the gist of it. I just want to say a couple more things before we get to your story, Stacey, uh, to, to really figure out, you know, how, how this has kind of come together for you, um, is uh, one of the things I think we get into trouble with in the Bible is uh, euphemisms. Mm. And euphemisms um, in the Hebrew, sometimes an editor might have changed something or they might have just changed it to, to be this. But to uncover somebody's nakedness is a euphemism for having sex with them. Mm. And sometimes it would mean having sex in a non-consensual way. So, um, so for instance, um, Leviticus eighteen seventeen. Uh, says, you shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman 
and of her daughter, and you shall not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are relatives. It is depravity. So in other words, incest is bad. Rape is bad. Abduction and, and all is bad. Right. But it's not the nakedness. It was a euphemism for saying you got naked together. It's like saying sleep. you sleep with somebody. Mm-hmm. Well, no, you didn't sleep with them. That's a euphemism. Right. So um, I already mentioned Isaiah's walking around, um, you know, naked. Um, the exact verse was uh, from uh, chapter 20 of Isaiah. Uh, at that time, the Lord spoke by Isaiah, uh, the son of Amos, saying, go and loose the sackcloth from your waist and take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so. So God actually tells him to do this. Walking naked and barefoot. Then the Lord said, as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles. So um, he's kind of prophesying against them, but there is that connection to nudity and slave, uh, slavery. Yeah. Uh, Micah, interesting prophet, he says for this... Uh, Chapter one, verse eight, for this, I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. Um, so this is the, this is the thing, mm. you know what I mean? Um, and so, you know, you get this idea that, that in the Bible, nakedness is bad, but only, only when it's a, con- a non-consensual, which we would all agree with. Right. Then there's prophets getting naked and it's perfectly acceptable because it's countercultural. That's another principle. And then you've got Song of Solomon. We don't need to mention too much of that other than to say um, the nudity or the, uh, the beauty of the naked form is seen as nifty and not condemned. Right. That's worth mentioning. So that's kind of like that, that's the short version of, of kind of where this comes into play with the Christian tradition, at least. And you're right. I didn't do a lot on the East. No, but, I, I was um, just curious. Sorry, I didn't. So all of this is to say, I'm just kind of curious then, what did, what was your experience? I, let's, let's lead up to it. So we've, we've established that, yes, I convinced you to at least in some modest ways, not modest ways in terms of like, Dressing modestly, <laughs> but like in small, yeah, that's funny. Words, Oopsie yeah, Daisy, Freudian slip. No, but like in in just like in in limited ways, you've been comfortable going to these spaces, and you found it relatively helpful. So, as we've implied, you've been finally able to go into like kind of hot spring settings mm-hmm. and some clothing optional settings around the country in our travels. And certainly I think you enjoyed one thing we didn't mention when we were camping for free in the rivers of Montana, being in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. We enjoyed that. You right. enjoyed that. Yeah. That leads us up to the naked bike ride. Mm-hmm. Now, actually in Portland, there are multiple times when there are little naked bike rides. Correct. And you did not go to the first one. Uh, no, not at all. Um, so when, cause you would want to participate in a smaller bike ride, but you weren't sure how small it was. We weren't even, I not wasn't even trying. Not that you were trying to go to a small one, but just, you were just trying to go I to see what the scene is. A ride. Yeah. Right. And fully prepared to bow out and not go. So interestingly right? we have, this is sounds weird, but for moral support, I have my family come with me. <laughs> uh, I was dressed, but like you guys were hanging out with me and believe it or not, I had no choice but to do it because my brother, Scott, he lives down the road. You know, he says, hey, did you know that there's a naked bike ride starting um, on Friday night at nine o'clock? And it starts uh, at the at the park right uh, nearby, the the Rose Garden. And 
it is our park. So this place that is starting here is the closest park in walking distance. It is where, when you need to get some space, when Sydney needs to get some space, you take a dog right down there to the Rose Garden for a walk. Mm-hmm. Right? It's absolutely beautiful. It's beautiful. But, um, but how could I not go? There's parks all over the city. You know, <laughs> I could say, well, I don't want to drive to downtown or I don't want to go to the southeast. That's too much work. Mm-hmm. No, all I have to do is walk out my door, go into the garage, pull out one of the bikes. And bicycle and over. bicycle over. In I like could even walk the bike minutes. over and the bicycle down. <laughs> well, at first when I get there, there's only like 20 people. And I'm thinking, okay, now I don't want this. This is too small. Right. I, <clears throat> I felt, wanted to be part like of like sa- the running of the bulls kind of operation. Yeah, safety in numbers, safety in being an, one in, in a pack, right? What I didn't know was that there was a there was another naked bike ride that started. Somewhere else. And they were coming up the hill. And then all of a sudden, the you know, a couple hundred. Game. Yeah, so a couple hundred naked bike riders showed up. And I said, all right, kids, get out of here. <laughs> and you guys went home. And then... Um, and actually, so Sid was going to meet up with a, a friend at one of the local bars, and I guess it didn't work out. The person couldn't come. And so I'm like, well, here, I'll come join you and grab a drink because I'm not going on that bike ride. Right? So you went to the Victoria Bar, uh, where the dog loves... Uh, interesting thing about the Victoria Bar uh, is we kind of drew a circle around it. It's not necessarily our favorite favorite anymore, but it's a place that has vegan food and it's a bar really? and they have really good chicken sandwiches that are fake chicken. Mm-hmm. The dog gets fake. The dog gets a, a quinoa based dish that she loves. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, why yeah. not? Yeah. You know? And so anyway, Sid and I are, are there, um, you know, getting a, a drink. Um, and then all of a sudden the bike ride comes. And right I'm just shocked cause us. I'm looking over and I'm riding by our famous, you know, our favorite little place to eat. And I look over and you and Sid are ha- sitting there <laughs> sipping, uh, you know, cocktails right there on the street. And, uh, and, uh, I was like halfway past, you know, and I was on my, uh, uh my beautiful, uh, Huntington beach beach cruiser. So I just put my fist in the air. I said, Hey, Stacy, it's Sydney. That's cool. <laughs> and, uh, but you got to see like the whole thing. Like, what, now t- t- from your perspective, what's it like to see? A- so first of all, basically it's one of those things where, um, you know, you start to hear some like commotion cause then they're bringing like, you know, music with them and all sorts of lights and, you know, like it is so much fun flare and all this stuff, you know, coming through. So you kind of hear a scene coming and, and then like, you know, everybody starts to kind of like come out of from the inside and other tables and stuff that weren't along the street and all mm-hmm. come out of the restaurant mm-hmm. out into like towards the street. And then everybody starts cheering on the group as they go it by. It is right? incredibly thrilling now, to be just riding naked on a beach cruiser right down through the streets that I'm normally commuting on. Mm-hmm. And people are coming out like it's, it's like a veteran's day parade. <laughs> and then cheering you on, cheering right? You on. Now I would say that the hard part is because again, uh, by the we way, had, I'm a veteran of the culture war. We had no idea. Idea. We had no idea that the bike ride was actually going to go down, go past us. Our, we weren't even trying to sit out there mm-hmm. thinking that it would. Um, we had no idea what route it would take from there, right? And so, nor do anybody because they don't. They don't publish. Yeah, it. they don't want you to um, know where it's going to be. But anyway, and so as it's coming through, it's like okay, we're cheering, and then there is a point at which, like, you've been cheering for a while, and it's like everybody's okay, you know. It's like, it's kind of hard to like constantly be cheering because it just goes on and on and on. And you kind of feel bad for the participants that are like further back because, mm. you know, it people kind of lose a little bit of the, you know, ooh, but it's still, I mean, definitely everybody rallied as much as you can and like, you know, get through. Um, 
the uh, towards the very end, it's a little scary because some of the vehicles just get right up on, um, you know, some of the bicyclists and, and like they're trying to video or whatever from where they there's can. There's two types. There's people like putting the cameras out and they're really excited because they, I mean, it is kind of interesting. People want to see it. It's like a phenomenon. Yes. It's like the, the Grunion run right? or, or, you know, like a Aurora Borealis. You can't really predict it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can predict the Grunion mm-hmm. run, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's but, true. Um, but no, but, um, you know, like, so when it comes by, people get excited. Like, you know, they'll, they'll say, Hey everybody, you know, come down. And, and, and once it starts, you know, the big one will last like an hour and a half. Well, and that's the thing. So (laughs) uh, let's talk about that in just a second. But, um, but yeah, so this one was just a few hundred people or something. Right. Um, and so, uh, like I said, it's like, you want to, I would say, um, it just seemed like it's better to be in the, f- more towards the front of the pack or well, the it was front better middle. for me to be in the front of the pack because I was desperate, as I've mentioned, not to get too far behind. So I always wanted to stay up front. Cause then if you start to fall behind, you're never in the way. <laughs> like back, I'm going up right? a hill and then usually there'll be like a, there'll be like a partway stop, you mm-hmm. know, they'll do like a halftime stop. So let me tell you the, the part of the story. So like, it looked kind of interesting, but we're cruising down and I would say, Absolutely a blast. Like, I mean, I am like a child. I mean, you talk about that, like, kingdom of God child. A bunch of people being rebellious, riding all over, all over Portland. And we were dry, riding down to City Hall where we're going to do our protest, right? Mm-hmm. So we get down there. And, of course, again, that's, like, the deal. You're protesting uh, and you're raising awareness for bike culture. And there's other bike rides, by the way. If you live in a city that has them, you should do them because people will ride around with, like, a boombox on the back of their 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 bicycle and they, you just having fun. It's like going to like a dance. Mm-hmm. It's free. There's so many things in Portland that are free, like the secret roller disco, um, you know, open mic nights. There's just so many fun things you can do that are just free right. that are just kind of group, you know, meetups. Anyway, so I'm cruising through and I said, this is thrilling. This is invigorating. This is wonderful. It is, it is, it is just delightful. And we get down to the, um, we get down to the courthouse and all of a sudden it turns into like a rave at the courthouse, just a bunch of naked people dancing and all the music is going and everyone's got their lights going. And then we, we do our chants, you know, and like less gas, uh, less gas, more ass, you know, different things like less gas, more ass. And then, you know, it's like anarchists. So anybody gets to say what they want to say. So one dude comes up and he's from Australia and uh, he's really into the scene. And he's like, all right, my chant is <laughs> fewer cars, more drugs. And everyone just goes, like, drop the needle, like, Whoop! you know, needle scratch. Um, we're like, I don't know if that's our mes- message here, bro. And he's like, no, like, good drugs, like plant medicine, like mushrooms and ayahuasca. And every- the, whole, the whole scene's like, oh, yeah, yay. <laughs> no one really said the more drugs, but they yeah. at least appreciated his sentiment. Right, They're like, right. okay, yeah, that's good. Like less, less petroleum, more drugs. But like, you know, you kind of do that and then you blast back home, you know? So I said, I need to do anything I can to get Stacy to go. If nothing else, the reason I wanted you to go was because I wanted you to experience this thing that is unlike anything I've felt before. We're just like cruising through town. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not naked, just having people cheering for you in and going late into the night and then we we end up at a park and we we dance at the park i mean like you needed to see that mm-hmm. and you also needed to see it when it was the big group because if you decided you wanted to do it some other time it would be 125 people you, you're less anonymous right so the anonymity well 
I will only leave it off with you, Stacy, to say also met at the same park. at the same park. And I think the reason is our first one was a test run of the Die Hard. So mm-hmm. we were testing to see like how does this work. And one other thing that's nice, there'd be some naked dude that rides up to a. It is this is the f- most fun part. He rides up to the to the intersection and then stops traffic and they have to wait for like an hour as naked people ride by and they get furious. And the thing... So, so here. Yeah, yeah, um, go for it. All right, so Stacey. Let's back up because... Yeah. Um, so going to the park, um, one of the things was because I was there, you know, the few weeks prior, whatever, to the one, I saw the difference of how many people. And, mm. I, and I... So I, I'd said to myself, I'm like, you know, I found... Um, I found sort of an outfit that, if you will, because like there's some people that have like some coverings. um, You can wear little tutus. Yeah. um, Or skirts. Or um, like little um, shawl like things or whatever. Capes or or, great um, body paint. Yeah. There's all sorts of different like, you know, some things that are. And then I, um, one of the things too that I guess I, being a, a, an observer, if you will, for the first one on accident with um, y'all coming through mm-hmm. was also like it's very common that um, that women and even sometimes um, men would still cover up in the bottoms, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think especially when they go with friends. So if a group of friends wants to hang out, it's just kind of like, all right. Right. Or, or family members like, you know, um, for me. The naked bike ride, my brother Scotty was going. We checked in with each other, and I said, all right, I'm going to be up in, like, the first third. You go to the second or third third so that we don't have to necessarily run into each other. We said hi at the beginning as we're all kind of cruising up. But, um, you know, it's just like if you're hanging out with your work friends or something, then you probably wearing bottoms kind of makes sense. Right. And so anyway, um, but basically seeing, you know, that, you know, some covering is, you know, completely – accepted and if that's you know as much as you can do then that's still bear as much as you dare and um and then also the other thing is just that being at the park and seeing this whole park just being overrun with and it's a huge park by the Mm. way with just bicycles and so i knew if the other one was like a few hundred this was like thousands Mm -hmm. of people Mm -hmm. you know um like every inch of this park was filled it looked like the garden of earthly delights literally if you know the garden of earthly delights by hieronymus bosch that was kind of i mean there was nobody doing weird stuff like the Bosch, but like everybody being naked and dancing around a fountain right so when you know (laughs) people were going in the fountain (laughs) yeah that's true it wasn't a crazy crazy thing yeah and um you know and i guess they were kind of waiting for it to get dark before they started and so there was a like a good hour where people were kind of gathering and um you know and being there once you start to like again (laughs) once you start getting like that many naked people all around like being naked is not a big deal no you know um it it just isn't like there's it just so it just kind of normalizes yes everything and so the the only thing i I literally thought i would go because i had my dress you know and everything and and um i just thought i would go and i just said you know i'm gonna humor Jeff Thank by you. just taking my bike and going down there. But no, I'm not going to, that's as much as I'm going to do. And I'll just back out and go home. But at least I like made it to that step mm-hmm. and, and just <clears throat> saw the scene. You, but, you should at least see the scene. Yeah. But then when I saw how many people I was like, okay, 
This is definitely the, and I, it didn't feel weird. It didn't feel, didn't feel unsafe. It didn't feel unsafe. It didn't feel um, that anybody like I, I, I didn't feel uncomfortable in any way from no. people staring Not or whatever all. it is that people do. People weren't trying to take pictures in like no. weird ways. People are taking photos of like the scene, right? Yeah, but, but like yeah. it wasn't like it. There was no that perversion or that um, voyeurism thing that was like really kind of happening within the crowd now. So I'm like, okay, I, I can do this now. We still, um, again, with little baby steps and safety nets, um, mm-hmm. you know, we had our, our clothes that we put into, um, like what you had the, the basket. basket or whatever. So that, um, in the event that I get uncomfortable at any point, I'll just peel away from right. the bicycle ride and I will put my clothes on and get back home. I don't, I can just go a couple blocks even or something, right. you know? So, um, but as we're going again like it just everything felt very just comfortable comfortable and normal so I still had I did go um I still had this like little like shawl like thing um it was like see-through-y that I had highly recommended and I that or a cape and I had um I still had my bottoms on uh so that I did cover myself up just because that was my comfort level Mm. um but it's that's been as naked as I've ever been out and just complete in that kind public of scene, right yeah. now. One of the things um, it's de- is it, you have to agree it's definitely more challenging to ride a bike naked through the city yes than to be at a beach yes or anything or like or a hot right, springs right and especially because um, even though the route's not published obviously when the bike ride comes through people come out and around and they're all grabbing their phones and videoing the whole scene. And so, you know, you've, I have to also get over the fact that, you know, what part of me is exposed is probably going to be on somebody's camera Mm -hmm. (laughs) somewhere, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. But as, as we were talking to somebody later, there was a a bartender guy that he said he had participated in, um, you know, a dozen of the, the bike rides. And he said, um, he said, one of the things that he's always like, always thought of about it is it's definitely a participatory sport, not a spectator Mm -hmm. sport. Mm -hmm. And so there is a little bit of the, if it goes to too high traffic areas and goes through, um, that it, it, does encourage the looky loos, which that's the only time it ever kind of feels uncomfortable is mm-hmm. people's own weirdness in relation to it. Right. The comments that they might shout out or whatever. But as far as anybody participating in the bike ride, it felt a hundred percent safe. And like, I literally had no issues. I wasn't, that did not bother me at all. It was just basically the people that wanted to watch and didn't want to participate right. that felt a little creepy sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Although it was also fun was we would drive by like housing areas and people would come out and cheer us on and then they would like get naked and get their bikes on oh, and join or, us. Or it was then like... there would be like the mom, you know, like the, <laughs> flash like the yeah, the, the mom that all of a sudden just like, woohoo and like flash yep. herself or whatever. And it was like, there was a sense in which people did have fun participating even for a moment, right. which I appreciated that. And they're and cheering then, on the like weird spirit yeah, of, of Portland. And the other thing that was really kind of um, fun and like interesting about the whole experience was that when you have thousands of people going down, street like we are literally just taking over the town we are 
it doesn't matter like whether it's a red light or green light, we're all going through and it was my kind of anarchy and cars had to stop and wait. And sometimes like we knew we were at the front towards the front, but Mm -hmm. we knew like these cars, like they don't even know there's sometimes like you might as well just turn your car off because it's not convenient. We don't like inconveniencing people. You need to turn around and go some other way, or you're going to be here for at least probably an hour and a half at least. What people don't realize though is it is, it is trying to be disruptive. Part of well, it is meant thing, to be disruptive, to saying, shut down bike. traffic. If ride you were your, on a yeah, bike right now, you wouldn't be in this situation. You wouldn't be in the situation. Doesn't and so mean they that we're judgy of all people in cars. Announce, we ride our cars. They don't announce the bike ride so that kind of people do get stuck behind that light or whatever. And at first yeah. they think it's fun, but I think there were are, there are sometimes oh, you have to be careful that once nervous. you've been there for probably a half an hour. So you're like, Oh, wait a minute. And this isn't ending. These leftists are shutting down the streets. Then there's mm. some people that will with their, even like where, um, your brother had said that in where he was a little further back, it got to a point where there was a car that had joined into the bike ride, trying to get mm-hmm. where they were. And mm-hmm. people had like gathered around and said, stop, yep. stop and made them stop but it is a very good example of mutual aid and and, and direct direct right? action like you, you know, can yeah. literally go through any traffic lights uh, totally like basically own wherever route you want to go through with all of those numbers of people and and, and any time that there was a car or people that are being um, in any way, like actually like getting angry or whatever, there was people that were already trained and prepared yeah. to gather around and protect everybody from those people. Yep. And that I just felt there was some sort of empower. Yes. There was definitely something empowering about the fact that, you know, that one, you've got these like people that are willing to just go ahead yeah. and, and step in front of any um, situation that people need yeah. protection this from. This is true libertarianism. It doesn't exist outside of us cooperating. And it's not safety, unorganized. And the safety, it's very organized. Yes, and the safety of the numbers mm-hmm. shows that you can even rain over cars or yeah. or traffic lights or whatever. Nobody's uh-huh. stopping us. There's too many people. How are you going to <laughs> contain this thing? You can't. Exploiters so, and dominators can't win unless they get us to think that we're incapable. Right. We were completely capable. No one was going to stop us. What are the cops going to come arrest us for public indecency? What are they going to do? And, and they, they, and they then, don't want to. They don't care. And they've are, you know, we know that, you know, if you have to we protest, yep. it, you know, that you're legally allowed yep. to, you know, be people, there and do that and protest. People may or may not have been supposed to be drinking beers and smoking doobies as they rode. That was kind of funny, too. But the, the point is, it was like all in good fun. There wasn't, we didn't, we didn't see any, all those people gathered in a party mood. No security needed. No cops needed. No, not even, we didn't even need security from right-wing haters. I actually felt more comfortable um, in that bike ride and even like hanging out at the park before and also at the end of the ride um, more than in even some of these naked spots because what you didn't have is that pastor type coming through they mm-hmm. had no excuse to be walking through looking and there was enough people looking that for were gonna, the capitol building yeah, or nah. you know like now they did have there was a funny there was one uh unhoused person that was uh, kind of uh, in the middle of the median as we were driving by and he said oh my goodness this is the best looking group i've seen in years <laughs> <laughs> but like we're like ah oh, whatever enjoy <laughs> yeah so anyway i i i thought it I thought for myself, like, I, I don't know that I would ever 
want or need to do another ride. Um, a naked bike ride type thing. This is thing. the difference between us, of course, but yes. Um, I, I knew I wanted to experience it and be a part of. Mm-hmm. The, it was something to experience. It was something to be a part of at least one time. And so it was like, you know, I'll put that on my bucket list. Um, and I don't know about future stuff. I, I you know. But wouldn't you say, uh, and maybe to, to, to kind of bring it to, to a conclusion here, part of, I think, the lesson that I've learned, you tell, me, you tell the listener what you think. For me, for a lot of us who grew up in fundamentalist backgrounds... This is really important to be able to be comfortable with our bodies in a non-erotic, non-sexualized way, to be able to be free, to be in touch with ourselves in the world. It was incredibly healing, incredibly helpful, highly, highly recommended. As much as I say that, I realize if it was hard, you know, in our family to think through these things, it might be hard for you. But if you can get there, that does seem to be close to the kingdom of God. And my recommendation is, though, that you don't go... And here's, here's I think, the key. You've got to be very careful where you go. Like, if you are in Southern California and you go to, like, a nudist camp, that might be, like, a swinger scene. Mm. Now, maybe you want that, maybe you don't, but we, we don't want to steer you wrong. What if you want to get into the scene and you want to experience some of these things, I highly recommend that you find a, uh, a place that has some good reviews online that is a hot spring a hot spring in the mountains somewhere like there's a few in Colorado that we recommend um, we've never been to Esalen uh, which is near Big Sur but that's kind of a hippie spot that you might want to try but do your own research in places near you that's the kind of scene where you might want to start because when you get to those spots people have to kind of usually like get there intentionally, but they're not, it's not going to be a lot of leering people. You're not going to have a lot right. of oglers. Right. You go to like a, a nude beach in Europe or in California or on the Oregon rivers or something. There are those options and there are generally maybe things that you should consider trying. But if you're worried about people ogling, you might on occasion get some. Of I that would there. say even like topless beaches in Florida, it's a whole different. Yeah. Scene. Right. Like, that's like, a whole like, different yeah. We've been to Miami South beach. That's it's fine, but it's a, just a different, a different trip. These spaces, uh, so I would say if you're interested in dabbling in it, really a a nice kind of spiritual retreat kind of center uh, that's near a hot spring, those kinds of things I think are the, are the best. And then some beach, and then the beaches can be fine too. I think it's, I I just, I think for me, it was really, really helpful. It, it, it helped me with my anxiety um, and helped me in so many ways. I think the only negative thing I would say for me is it made it less fun to be naked because now it's like, because <laughs> I'm like, I love like excitement of new ideas and new things. And so like, it felt like I climbed Mount Everest overcoming my body image issues. And once I did, there's like nothing to overcome anymore. <laughs> and for me, I still have some room to grow. Well, and you get to but... enjoy it more than I do, which is the uh, paradox of it. So there you go. All right. Well, thank you friends for uh, joining us on this uh, ride and, you know, kind of witnessing our path. Uh, as we um, continue to explore and hope that you also find deep peace upon peace. Uh, Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said that wasn't any letter. He said that was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter low too much.